What temperature rise have we seen up till now? Up to now, it's if you look across the entire century, the 20th century, it's almost one degree, 0.9 degrees mm-hmm. of warming. Okay, and what impacts have we seen in the physical world uh, over that period due to that rise in temperature? We've seen impacts in, I mean, lots of quantities, I mean, like sea ice, which are shrinking and is observed over not so long, let's say, I mean, with accuracy the, the last uh, 30 years or something. Snow cover in the northern hemisphere is also decreasing. Glacier are melting across the world. Precipitation are changing with region with intense precipitation getting more precipitations and arid zones getting drier. Uh, there's also some change in extremes with more heat waves, less cold nights and more I mean, warm warm nights and heat rate in general. So looking towards the future, we're about 0.85, 0.9 degrees C above pre-industrial or something at the moment. Um, yeah. um, you've, there's four new scenarios that have been modelled for this new report. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain why these were needed and what they set out to show? So the few, I mean, future projections are always based on scenarios for IPCC. It used to be scenarios that we called S-REST in the past, and we changed now to new scenarios that are called RCP, representative concentration pathways. And the main, well, there are several differences, of course. I mean, they are updated, they are done with like new models, that, I mean, derived these social economic scenarios. And also in this series of scenarios, there is one, which is the RCP 2.6, which is a scenario with strong mitigation. So decline in CO2 emissions in the near term, emissions going down to zero and even being negative emission of CO2 by the end of the century. And this scenario is compatible with a warming of two degrees. And then you have other scenarios, RCP 4.5, RCP 6 and RCP 8.5, which continue emitting CO2 in the future at different rates. 4.5 does stabilize as well, but I mean later on. And 6 and 8.5 don't really stabilize. And 8.5 is more like a business as usual, if you want, with like increasing in emissions in, across the 21st century. So for the most optimistic scenario, the RCP 2.6, mm. the warming across the 21st century is anywhere between 0.3 and 1.7 degrees, in addition to the one degree we had in the past already. Mm-hmm. And if you take the, the highest scenario, the warming is from 2.6 to 4.8 degrees over the 21st century, meaning again on top of the 0.9 degrees warming we had already. Okay, obviously uh, from uh, um, anyone that's interested in preserving a, a kind of a climate that um, is hospitable for most species on the planet, um, we'd be most interested in the, uh, the, the what's called the, the, two, the, two, yeah, the, the, the lowest one, the there, the 2.6 yeah. scenario. Um, can, you, can you describe what happens to greenhouse gas emissions under this scenario? How, how does that play out over, over the, the century? So it does start declining soon, I think by 2020 or something, maybe 2020, 2030 maximum. Mm. And then the CO2 emissions, but it is, it is the case for all non-CO2 emissions as well, they all decline strongly over the next 50 years. And as I said, uh, for CO2, they are negative. 
after 2080 or something, which means we need to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. In the latest report, you've introduced the idea of carbon budgets for the first time. Um, why did you feel it was important to do that? I mean, one of the reasons is, I mean, because we could do it now, we couldn't do it before. So now, I mean, the, I mean, the most developed uh, climate models, we call them ESMs, Earth System Models, they do take into account not only the climate system, but also the carbon cycle system. So with these models, you can, for example, force the, the, the models with emissions of CO2, calculate the land carbon sinks, the ocean carbon sinks, and then derive what, how much CO2 stays in the atmosphere for the given emissions. Therefore, you can calculate the trajectory of CO2 and climate for a given set of emissions. And likewise, if you impose a concentration, you can back-calculate what the emissions you need to have that are compatible with these concentration pathways. So there's a direct link between emissions and, con and concentration and between concentration and climate change, which is something we didn't have in our form in the previous assessments. So when you put all these pieces together, you can compute the warming you get for different levels of emissions. And when we do so, we see that it's more or less linear. So if you emit 500 petagram or gigatons of carbon, which is more or less what we emitted so far, you have a warming of about one degree. If you emit 1,000, you have a warming of two degrees. If you emit 2,000, you have a warming of four degrees. So it's pretty much linear. Yes. And it tells you, for example, that if you want to limit the warming to two degrees for the super-industrial, you are left with a total budget of something like 1,000 gigatons of carbon that you can emit across the inter entire, entire time period. Knowing that we emit already 500, it means, it's, I mean, you are left with 500 petagrams or gigatons of carbon that you can still emit in the future. And that's in the CO2-only world. You should take into account the fact that some of the warming will be due to non-CO2 gases like methane or N2O. The amount of CO2 you can emit is lower. And we calculate that to, to be likely below two degrees, you can only emit 800 gigatons of carbon yeah. total. Yeah. We emit 500 already, so there's like another 300 gigatons of carbon you can emit in the future. I mean, currently we emit 10 gigatons per year. So 300 gigatons is like another 30 years of emissions at the current rate. Right. Beyond that, I mean, it's, it's likely that you, I mean, we will end up with a warming which is above two degrees. Right. So that's new information which we thought is like much more policy relevant because it makes a direct link between future emissions and warming. Okay. Um, do you think that uh, carbon budget should now play a role in the international negotiations? Well, in the sense, it was, it was kind of always known. It was, it was not just like unshown in like such an obvious way, but it was, it was known from, from some time, of course, that you need to reduce emissions in the future, I mean, to stay below a, give, a given climate target. From uh, a policymaker point of view, I guess it's useful to know that there is one number, which is like the envelope of what you, what, what you do in the future, but still you need to distribute this in time and you need to distribute this, I mean, across countries. Yeah. And distribution in time is, I mean, you, you bring in the question of, I mean, how fast can you decrease emissions? Yeah. So obviously, I mean, declining emissions, as we said before, I mean, all the way down to zero, by tomorrow it's impossible. Yeah. So there's some 
maximum mitigation rates that are proposed by Working Group 3 and something like 5% or something per year of declining the emissions. More than that is not sustainable, according to their models. And there's also obviously the issue of, I mean, which countries need to reduce first, in which countries do you have to do have more time before they start reducing and so on. And so, yeah, these, these, these kind of questions are like hot on the agenda and they are, I mean, highly political and not, not so much scientific because, I mean, the, for, the, for the science itself, it's obvious. Every country should decline as, as soon as possible. So the temporal and spatial attribution of this budget it's something we don't we don't do in working group one because it's it's, it's well it's an economical and political decision. What we give is the total. The total is eight hundred or three hundred in the future if you want. But beyond that, it's it's political and economical decisions. I don't know if I can ask you a final question, which you you might want to refuse to answer because it's kind of stepping outside the what's in the the strict strict science that's in there. Um, but it's just a, a question about um, whether you feel there's a disconnect between the signal that's coming from the science community and the necessary response that um, we should be getting from the international kind of policy community and if you feel there is a disconnect how do you feel about that yeah i mean i'm i'm i'm, I'm happy to i mean to answer this question but of course i mean this is not as an ipcc author or anything just like my personal view and my personal view is that indeed there is a disconnect and i'm i'm hoping that i mean with, with this I mean, new assessment report being out i mean it will help to recreate momentum for the countries to get together and and, and to move forward because yeah as we all know, and there's not much progress since Copenhagen. Right, there was a lot of hope, and then it didn't materialize. And since then, there's, there's very little progress. And if you look at, I mean, the current rate of emission of CO2, they are still increasing, and faster than ever. So there's no sign of declining the emissions, or I mean, it's like leveling off and start to decline in the near future, which is what you need if you want to stay below two degrees. So the two degrees target seems to me, I mean, harder and harder to get. It's not impossible, but it will require I mean, lots of lots of work and more, I mean, drastic action in the future. And the sooner you start declining, the easier it is. The more you wait, the stronger the reduction needs to be in the future. Again, because of what matters at the end is the total. Yeah. So if we wait like another 30 years with the same emissions, then we have to drop to zero after 30 years. Yes. Yeah. No, it would be very complicated. So the sooner you start decreasing, the easier it is in the long term. Yeah. But yes, I agree that there's no much time. I mean, the, I mean, the world going into the direction at the moment.